The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. I, Tony Evers, swear that I will support, swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of the United States. Democratic Governor Tony Evers takes the oath of office for his second term. A new state legislature prepares for budget negotiations and the U.S. House of Representatives struggles to move forward on a vote for speaker. I'm Zach Schultz filling in for Frederica Freiberg tonight on Here and Now. Governor Tony Evers is here sharing his priorities for the upcoming session and Assembly Speaker Robin Voss hopes to find common ground on tax cuts. It's Here and Now for January 6th. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. Tuesday marked the start of the new two-year legislative session and kicked off with the inauguration of Tony Evers and the other constitutional officers. I'm Tony Evers, and yes, I am jazzed as hell to be sworn in again as a 46th governor of the great state of Wisconsin. Democrat Tony Evers took the oath of office, looking to set a new tone for his second term as governor. He framed his win in November as a victory for democracy, not just Democrats. Wisconsin rejected a rhetoric born out of apathy and animosity towards our neighbor. And Wisconsin rejected a return to the bitter politics of res uh, resentment. He used his inaugural address to lay out how voters expect a return to bipartisanship and compromise with a democratic point of view. People voted because they believe, as I do, that when we deliver tax relief, it should be targeted to the middle class to give working families a little breathing room in their family budget, not to give big breaks to millionaires and billionaires. After the ceremony in the rotunda, Members of the legislature were sworn in, with Republicans in commanding control of both chambers. So help me God. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss also spoke about compromise. So if you come from the far left or the far right, please always remember in this institution, the middle 90% of the body is where things get done, not on the fringe. He too spoke about tax reform from a Republican point of view. When I look at our tax climate, I see that all around us are flat taxes in Iowa, Michigan, Illinois. Governor Evers previewed the next two years when he said the inaugural called for a party, but the real work was yet to come. Wisconsin, we love you. Let's polka tonight and get to work tomorrow. If Tuesday night was about dancing the polka, it's been about touring the state since then. We're joined now by Governor Tony Evers. Thanks for your time. Hi, Zach. Now, Governor, you've crisscrossed Wisconsin the last couple of days. What do those visits connect to the work of dealing with the legislature? Well, uh, they, they, you know, in yesterday, for example, I was in two, uh, two school districts, and the work that they're doing absolutely has a lot to do with, you know, funding of public schools and, and other legislative things. So uh, we learned a lot, uh, e even, you know, things that seemingly are small, but uh, we, we talked with a lot of students about there that were youth apprenticeships and how that works. And so everything that I do when I'm going out and about the state has something to do with legislation. 
Uh, we spoke with uh, Speaker Voss last month, and mm -hmm. he said that more money is not the solution to solving some of the knowledge gaps that occurred during COVID. Do mm -hmm. you agree or disagree? Well, money does play a role in it, clearly. I mean, we have school districts going to referenda every single election, and two things happen there. One is that most of them pass, and uh, that raises property taxes, so that's obviously a legislative issue. And, and second of all, there's 20 to 30 percent that don't pass every time. And so what that, what that does is creates a system of haves and have-nots. That is a legislative issue. So yes, I, I, I think it's important that uh, we look at every option to have kids learn in a better way. But uh, at the end of the day, one of those things is resources. Now, both on election night and during your inaugural address, you connected your victory with a vote to save democracy. Is your win enough to do that, or do we need more legislation to avoid what you called, quote, a trajectory bent toward permanently undermining the institutions that are fundamental to who we are as a people? Well, our election and the way it was run, and obviously everything went fine. You know, we have a, a Republican that's head of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. They certified the election. So I think things went well. Now, do I think there's some things that could be better? Frankly, I would be, I'd like to have automatic uh, voter registration so that people are registered. That doesn't mean they have to vote. And I think it would be good to give the those local, local clerks the ability to you know, process some of those early voting things uh, beforehand so that they don't have to do it at four o'clock in the morning. But the system is strong and basically, um, yes, the, uh, do I think that that election and the way it was run helped people understand how important democracy is and frankly, how it, it's always been strong. I mean, it, in Wisconsin, so much of the hard work, 90% or more, happens locally. And it happens by Republicans, Democrats, independents, you know, the clerks, the local clerks. Those are the folks that do all the hard work. It's not what happens in Madison. And so we need to reaffirm our support for that and continue to move forward. Now, you've had meetings with Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahieu last month, the first time in a long time for those. Do you expect that to be a regular thing going forward? Yeah, I do. I don't think it's going to be like every Wednesday at noon or something like that. But yeah, I, I've never had a problem with meeting with them. Obviously, during the pandemic, that made it more difficult. So yes, I thought both meetings went well, and we'll continue to do it. And uh, there's lots of things that we, you know, that I know that uh, and I think they know, too, there's bipartisan support for it. Now, in your first two budgets, the negotiations appeared from the outside to consist of Republicans trying to figure out how far they could go before you would veto the entire bill. Mm -hmm. Do you expect this process to look different? It'll be different in, the, in that uh, things like shared revenue, how we're, how we're going to fund our public schools, fixing the roads and broadband, things like that. They're, absolutely is common ground to be f held. And then, you know, after that, uh, we'll see. I, you know, we, we may be in positions where we fight about different things, and I anticipate we will. Whether those things will be enough for me to veto a bill or a uh, budget or not, I don't know at this time. Now, we're finally starting to see some of Governor Walker's appointees to some of those state boards step down after overstaying their terms, specifically on the DNR board. 
In the future, would you expect to run names past Senate Majority Lemahieu in order to see if he likes them off the bat, or are you just going to announce them cold? We'll, we, well, first of all, we announce people that we feel will be okay with Senator Lemahieu. And I appreciate the fact that he said every everyone that we have out there, they're going to give it an up and down vote. You know, and they're all good people. I mean, I, there's no reason why not to. And the fact that we, the fact that people waited, a handful waited until uh, the end of the calendar year to get out, I, I find that, you know, refreshing that they come to that conclusion, but that should have happened a long time ago. Now, you recently announced your new selection for DNR Secretary, Adam Payne. Just so happens he's the county administrator from Senator Lemahieu's home county of mm. Sheboygan. Was that a coincidence, or is that something you think will help speed the confirmation? Well, it, was a, it was a coincidence. I've known Adam for a long time. I'm from Sheboygan County. I know that he's done a great job there. I know that his background is one that uh, you know, he's, his father and was, a, uh, I think, a professor at Stevens Point and in, in, that, in the area of, the, you know, the natural resources. And so it, it was just a natural. If, if it helps that he's from Sheboygan County and uh, so is uh, Senator Lemhew, that's great. But that's not why we chose him. Uh, switching to the topic of the Supreme Court election that's mm -hmm. coming up, it seems like any negotiations over the other major topic of abortion will be tied directly to the outcome of that election. There doesn't seem to be any room for compromise until we know what's going to happen with the court and that issue. I would say so. I, I, I can't imagine that we will be able to come to some conclusion to to get us to a point where we were before Roe v. Wade legislatively. So that's why we filed a lawsuit. I think the lawsuit is going to be successful and it's likely to end up in the in Wisconsin Supreme Court. Would you be comfortable if voters approached that Supreme Court election from the point of view of abortion rights? Of course. Yeah, it is a big deal in the state of Wisconsin. Most people in the state do believe that uh, that women should have their, you know, that decision making left up to them. And so, yes, I, if if that's the way it plays out, that's the way it plays out. But it's an important issue. It's an important issue in the campaign, my campaign, and uh, I believe women should have those rights. Now, uh, including in the topic of abortion, the FDA recently announced that they would be expanding access to the so-called abortion pill, mm -hmm. but that's not available in Wisconsin, both due to the 1849 law and more recent legislation. Is that something that'll have to get sorted out way down the road as to whether people will be able to access that? I can't imagine that will be dealt with by the legislature, but we'll see. I mean, certainly if there's things that legislatively can happen that allow women to utilize this, uh, the, this farm pharmaceutical. Uh, I think we should, but I'm guessing that's not going to happen. So that's going to be down the road. One other issue that Republicans have brought up is the use of TikTok on state mm. devices. We've seen other states ban them. Is right. that something you're leaning towards? Yeah, I, I made a decision to do that. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll be issuing a, an executive order early next week to, uh, to ban that. How common is the use of TikTok on state devices? Not, not, not very. I mean, the, the number of people, it's a relatively small number. I'd say probably less than 30, uh, all, to, all told, of all state employees. So that's not, a, that's not a majority by any stretch. 
Uh, so it's it's not pervasive, but uh, we feel it's important to uh, uh, to make sure that even in the small number of people that use it, that they shouldn't be using it. Does that fall into the larger purview of just electronic security? Because we've heard other experts say, well, TikTok's really no different than yeah. a lot of other social media devices you download onto a yeah, phone. That's a great question. We, we are in constant conversations with FBI and also uh, Wisconsin Emergency Management and others that... Uh, uh, are really into the, you know the nitty-gritty of that and we'll follow their advice just like we did with TikTok. All right, Governor Evers, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Zach. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says he too is hoping to improve lines of communication between the legislature and the governor. We spoke with him recently about the budget and his legislative priorities. Mr. Speaker, thanks for your time. Always happy to be here. Thanks, Zach. Give me your impressions of the 2022 elections and what are your takeaways from the results? Well, I would say, first of all, uh, it seemed to go along better than it did before. I think we had less concerns with the challenges that occurred in 2020. Uh, I think it still shows that there were issues uh, that we had to deal with. I still would prefer that we had the Monday count bill, the assembly, uh, you know, passed, never got through the state Senate. I think we had some changes to the way that we um, did different election laws that should have become law. Um, I think those issues are still out there. But I, I think we've also realized that there is a lot of passion around elections. Uh, on both sides in Wisconsin. Everything is so close. So I wish we would focus more on trying to ensure that there was confidence from the very far right to the very far left, instead of just hoping that our side wins and that the other side just have to deal with it. Do you think the fact that there was kind of a split election with Ron Johnson and Tony Evers winning gives people confidence? Like, there's no way it could be a rigged if that happened. I, I would certainly hope so. I mean, like I say, I still believe that there are concerns that we have to deal with. Um, it'd be nice if we could kind of try to generate more of a consensus this time around and say, look, we're heading into what is probably going to be a contentious presidential election. I don't think we just throw caution to the wind and overhaul everything. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of concerns that people are legitimately bringing up. I hope we could have a serious conversation about it. Military ballots kind of came up at the very end. There's not very many of them, but is that something that does need to be looked at? I certainly think if there's a way where we don't have the same security around people who vote using a military um, situation as opposed to somebody who lives in Lodi or Burlington, yeah, I think it's reasonable to have us do that. Uh, my goal has always been to have the maximum number of votes cast that are legal and proper. And I think that's the second part that we really need to focus on. Yeah, I wanna have massive turnout in Wisconsin like we always have, but not do it in a way that allows for individuals to con have concerns about the final results because somebody could you know, work their way through the process illegally, whether it happens a lot or not, nobody should ever have to worry that it does. Are there any non-budget issues that you think that the assembly will look to address right away in the session starts? Boy, there's a, there's a lot that's going to go on. I mean, a lot of it is the budget. I mean, that's, that's primarily the thing. But as I've thought about the topics that we can look at, I mean, I, I feel like one of the good things about the way that the legislature works is we have the ability to kind of hit the reset button with every swearing-in ceremony that we have two years, um, you know, every two years. So part of me looks and says, okay, the past is a past. I'm going to look at the future. So number one, I think we have a real problem with learning loss. Uh, we now see that two out of three kids um, since 2019 are doing worse on standardized tests. They, they 
don't have the adequate level of math or reading for their grade level. That's wrong. We've got to figure out how we deal with that. We also know with the massive amount of federal money that came in, more money isn't the simple answer to helping deal with this learning loss. There's a lot of complex issues. So I think that's an area that we could focus on. I was disappointed that Governor Evers vetoed our legislation to increase literacy and learning. Hopefully we can go back and address some of the concerns we might have had and get that through. Uh, second thing is we know that we have a demographic challenge. We have real issues in Wisconsin with a graying population and we need to do more to keep people here in Wisconsin. So when I look at our tax climate and I see that around us we have a flat tax in Iowa, in Michigan, in Illinois, a Republican state, a Democrat state, and a newly turned Democrat state, I think we could certainly have a discussion about our tax burden. And it's, it's not about rewarding wealth, even though there's nothing wrong with that. It's about saying that if you have a retired couple and they decide where they're going to spend six months in a day, uh, it certainly should be Wisconsin, not Florida, Texas, Arizona, Tennessee, all places that are significantly cheaper to retire. we got to fix that. Uh, and the last thing that I really think we need to focus on is more innovation. Um, under the best case scenario right now, we see not net in migration. We see that we have to keep more college graduates. And part of the innovation has to be all through state government and local governments. Um, I think for the most part in Wisconsin, we do everything the way that we did 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, and rather than innovating, we just add more to the top of the pile. So I would love for us to use our budget and our opportunity to legislate to focus on innovating and being a place where new ideas thrive. You know, we used to be the invention capital of the country. Everything from malted milk to garbage disposals were invented in Wisconsin. We've been less innovative in government, and I think we need to change that. Uh, moving to the budget, which is obviously the, the biggest focus, mm -hmm. it, it, tax cuts are the biggest priority for Republicans. Yeah. It, are you going to pass a budget with a flat tax, or is that still negotiations between the two chambers as to whether that happens? Well, I would start by saying I don't want to have any absolute bottom lines at this point. You know, there are things that I really want to accomplish. Uh, I talked about the learning loss that we're seeing in Wisconsin among almost every grade level. Well, we needed to educate and differentiate Wisconsin from other places, so I want more school choice. That doesn't mean only a private school. It could mean why do we have it difficult between two public schools, right? Why do we get to have parents not be the primary deciders and bureaucrats instead? Uh, I think that should be something that I would, I know Governor Evers cares about education, so you would think that'd be something we could find common ground on. Uh, I would say, in my mind, yes, we need to have tax reform. I've tried to be, to be generous in saying that, look, Governor Evers signed the last budget where we had nowhere near the surplus we do now with $3.4 in tax cuts. I can't imagine under any scenario we'd have less than that. We should have more. But I haven't drawn a line in the sand that says it has to be at this level or it must be done this way. Um, but I will tell you the only bottom line that I have is we are not going to use the surplus or new revenues to grow the size of government, right? Innovate make sure we have our priorities funded, but to create new bureaucracies, to create new monstrosities they'll have to pay for later on, absolutely not. Today marks two years since the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The New York Times reports that to date, more than 950 people have been charged in connection with the storming of the Capitol and the attempt to stop the certification of the election. All eight of Wisconsin's members of the House were there that day, seven of them inside the building, the eighth member is Republican Derek Van Orden, who was not in Congress then. He attended the rally outside the Capitol, but claims he did not enter the building or participate in the violence that day. Van Orden was elected this fall to represent Wisconsin's third congressional district. However, he still hasn't been sworn into office because Republicans have been unable to agree on who to elect as Speaker of the House. Republican Kevin McCarthy has failed in more than a dozen votes since Tuesday, with a small group of holdouts preventing him from getting a majority. 
It's the first time in 100 years a speaker wasn't chosen on the first ballot, and this marks the most votes since 1860, when 44 votes were needed. The record, by the way, was set in 1856, when it took 133 rounds of voting to elect a speaker. Unless you're new to Wisconsin, you've seen the snow plows out this winter, not only cleaning the roads, but laying down salt. And while this makes it safer for drivers, it's becoming a problem for our state's freshwater bodies. One thing that we're seeing in a lot of urban areas in Wisconsin is increasing salinity in our freshwater lakes and rivers. And that's a problem because historically, we were blessed with a lot of fresh water in Wisconsin. Um, often we take that for granted. And as we increase salinity in our water bodies, that causes problems for aquatic organisms that have evolved to be in freshwater environments. It also causes problems for humans if that's a drinking water source. You know, if we're seeing increasing salinity in lakes, we're, you know, we're likely also seeing it in groundwater. So this kind of goes you know, beneath the surface. But thinking about salt inputs, you know, the biggest input is road salt by far. We use it in every county in the state, um, and all of that salt ends up in the environment. Nothing is being picked up, so all of it's going to be washed into our waters eventually. To learn more about impact and mitigation, we turn to Allison Madison, Program Manager at Wisconsin SaltWise. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So what is SaltWise and who are you working with? Yeah, so SaltWise actually began in the Madison area with the City of Madison, Dane County, Madison Dane County Public Health, the wastewater treatment plant, the water utility, all seeing salt concentrations increase in our lakes and our streams and our drinking water. So those organizations came together and said, we need to do something about this, right? Um, and initially the the goal was, you know, reach out to some of the biggest users of salt, the cities, um, different municipalities within the county, the county themselves, and they started to train operators, anybody who's putting salt down, on best practices. And then from there, SaltWise kind of grew because um, some of the operators were saying, you know, this is great, um, but we also have private contractors, right? They're putting down a lot of salt on parking lots and sidewalks. They need to understand. And then um, also the audience of just the general public came up, right? Like if the public doesn't understand why we might want to, you know, kind of calibrate in and consider salt use, not just that more isn't always better, we need to make sure that message gets out to the public so they understand why we're making changes at the municipal, county, state level. So what's the trade-off here between making roads safe and making or keeping our groundwater safe? So actually, that's a, I'm so glad you asked that question because I really, um, with SaltWise, what we want to do is kind of break that apart, break apart that dichotomy of we're either safe or you know we have we have um, pure fresh water going forward because really a lot of the best practices that the Saltwise partnership encourages um, are practices that do not reduce uh, the level of service on our roads. So um, things like calibrating your salt spreaders so you understand how much salt is being put down and you can really make precise applications based on road temperature and weather trends. Also using liquid brines. You maybe have seen those lines, you know, on the uh, highway before a storm, sometimes on municipal streets as well. Those work um, to put down a 
very, very thin layer of salt. I like to um, describe it like putting Pam spray, maybe cooking spray, right, on your skillet before you cook. So if you can prevent that bond from forming between snow and the pavement, when the plow comes, the snow comes up so much more readily, they use a lot less salt afterwards, right? I think you've probably sometimes put some food on right before oiling that skillet and then you're scraping, you're scraping afterwards. So some of these practices like using liquid brines, um, calibrating equipment, they don't actually reduce the level of service. They don't make pavement less safe. Sometimes they can actually make it safer because um, of the work of liquid just working so much more quickly than solid rock salt. So it's not a question of safe, again, or you know protecting the environment, but it's really just adopting those best practices. So climate change is a big factor here. It's changing what our winters look like in terms mm -hmm. of size of storms, when the snow runs off. Does that change the formulas that people have been using for years about how to lay down salt? Yeah, so um, the, one of the biggest problems is we haven't necessarily used formulas in the past. We've kind of just thought, you know, if salt is good, some is good, more is better, let's crank it up, put the salt down, right? Um, so we're, we're seeing that those conversations start to change. Part of it is the environmental aspect of this issue, right? Um, really seeing salt concentrations increase in our fresh water. But another piece of it is the growing cost of salt itself. And also the fact that salt is super corrosive, right? I think a lot of us see that maybe on our personal vehicles, um, but salt also really prematurely ages roads and bridges. And so we're paying a lot more for salt um, these days. And we're, we're starting to see that the, the costs of that. So um, I think that this work is really just starting to have applicators, some of those biggest applicators you know, are seeing it first, kind of how do we dial in and right size our salt use um, as the climate continues to change and we have more maybe snow events followed by warm spell with rain. You know, we see that if there's any extra salt that's been put down on pavement, it's just washing away, right? So into our streams. For individuals at home, we have just a few seconds left. What should they think about when they salt their sidewalk or their steps? Thank you. So um, we really encourage people to shovel, scatter, switch, and then sweep. So first shovel, get out there and move as much snow as you can possibly move kind of manually or mechanically with a snowblower. Um, so shovel, scatter. If you do need to use salt, just apply it as needed because every teaspoon of salt pollutes five gallons of water. So if you've got extra salt left over, you want to make sure you're, you're sweeping that up and then using less the next time. The switch comes in uh, at colder temperatures. If you drop below, if the temperatures drop below 15 degrees Fahrenheit, salt is not effective anymore. So we need to switch and use sand for traction or a different de-icer. All right, that is all we have. Allison Madison, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. It was a delight to be on. For more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the News tab. That is our program for tonight. I'm Zach Schultz. Have a great weekend. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin.